calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Welcome to Slay, episode 133. Our story is almost done. Only two eps remain after this, and there's a whole lot of fighting going on. Shakedown, book one of the crypt, is out soon, October 3rd, 2023. If you can, hold off on your pre-order and snag it on that day on October 3rd. That would be great. Please mark that on your calendar. It will be available in print, audiobook, and ebook. We will not be podcasting this book, so budget your ducats accordingly. Set aside that moolah so you can get that book. As always, I greatly appreciate you buying the books. The podcast is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but at the end of the day, it is book sales that keeps me in business. Let me get you caught up on the story, then we're all going to go watch Twitter continue to crumble into excrement. Billy, Magda, Ariella, and Dragon are at the Old Stone Church, under assault, from Butch and the Rolling Outlaws. Billy and Butch fought one-on-one. Billy broke Butch's knee, but his celebration was short-lived. Money Monday handed Billy a beatdown and left him a limp mess atop the now 15-foot-long dragon who has been bound up in a ball by meshwork net provided to Butch by Boss Hog. Magda did some damage to Balake and to Money Monday, but she collapsed in fear brought on by memories of her fight with Vestinian and the Umatakan. Ariella used her limited magic to drag Magda into the nave and shut the doors tight, leaving men to try and shoulder their way through. Across town, the club kids and Dante's Miami thugs are battling it out at Kalista's club. Kalista hurt Oleus Oakbeard, but she was knocked silly by Boss Hog. She's down, with only Gary Sater to protect her against Dante's forces. But Lincoln and Bobby are about to enter the fray. And now, episode 33 of Slay. Boom. 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 In a definitive rhythm now, shoulders slamming against the nave doors. Wood rattled and cracked. It wouldn't be long. Get me something to lean on! Still groggy from Money Monday's crushing blows, 
Billy heard the pain and anger in Butch's words. Billy leaned his weight on the bound dragon, pretending to cry, using his body to shield his actions. He couldn't get the tip of his pointer finger to slide between the taut gold wire and dragon's unforgiving scales. Boom. 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 A low growl burbled in Dragon's throat. Not words that Billy could understand, but emotions flaring like a torch in the darkness. Get me out of this net, best pal, and I will take care of everything. Billy pushed harder. The wire dug into his skin. He pushed harder still. Something seemed to give. His fingertip suddenly slid beneath the wire. Billy saw the blood before he felt the pain. The wire had stripped away a slice of skin from just under the top of his finger down past the second knuckle. When the pain did hit, Billy clenched his jaw, fought to keep from screaming. Boom. 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 Dragon's soft, gurgling sound grew more urgent. Don't stop now, best pal. You gotta keep going. Billy hooked his finger under the wire. His blood spilled, running between the scales in a zigzag course down Dragon's body. The pain Billy had felt until now seemed like nothing. He had just flayed his own finger. Billy pulled, grunting softly against the agony. The wire wouldn't budge. He had to focus. He blinked away the tears, and he pulled harder. He pulled against the wire until he felt like it would slice off his own finger. Boom. 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 The fibers. The threads. He saw them again. A cavalcade of tiny colors shimmering like balled-up plastic wrap. He had to pull with that finger and with his mind. A dangle of snot dripped from his nose, but he didn't care. Billy imagined the strand's meshwork splitting, fissuring, and he pulled harder still. The wire finally broke with a dull thwop of snapping twine. Billy had done it. How? He didn't know. Dragon wiggled. She was still too tightly bound to even lurch against the golden net. She gurgled faster, keeping the sound so low that Billy didn't hear it as much as he felt it against his chest, his stomach, and thigh, the parts of him that were pressed against Dragon. One strand, clearly, wasn't enough. Someone give me a gun, Butch said. I'm going to kill that little motherfucker. They're still too hot, Money Monday said. Then give me a brick, a shovel, a rock, a fucking wooden stake if you can find it. Get it now. Boom. 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 Billy saw something. Where the black scales met, there was the slightest divot beneath the wire. Wincing against the coming pain, he pushed his index finger down hard against the divot, gritted his teeth, and drove his fingertip beneath the skin-slicing metal wire. Boom. 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 Subwoofers shook the floor, made everything vibrate, 
in a fast tempo rhythm. The synth-heavy track sounded like two demons grudge-fucking a lawnmower. A kaleidoscope of color pulsed and coursed across the sprawling club, along the velvet-roped booths and the black walls, blazed up from a dance floor streaked with the blood of the wounded, the dead, and the dying. The staccato lights made battling club kids and Miami Tufts look like comical fighters in a stop-action movie. Bobby waded into the battle like a snowplow. A snowplow with an axe. A powerful swing chopped through both legs of a Miami thug, severing them at the thigh. The man dropped, blood spurting, and made a noise that was half a cry of pain and half a grunt of, this can't be happening. Left hand dangling limp and useless, Lincoln followed in the Minotaur's wake. A thug straddled a club kid, his hands around her throat, her feet kicking, her fingers stretching toward a dagger that was just out of reach. One well-placed mid-back shot with Bastard Maker split the man's spine. He slid off her, his legs now little more than unresponsive baggage. The blow probably would have killed him, but the club kid made sure. She grabbed up her dagger and drove it into the thug's throat. Bullets skipped off Lincoln's armor. A close-range shotgun blast. Bobby's grunt of pain, then a truncated scream of terror as the Minotaur reached out, grabbed the shooter's head, and crushed his skull like a watermelon. Lincoln Franks! Hogg's voice, augmented by minor threadwork of some kind, loud enough to be heard over the near-deafening dance music. That you behind that soon-to-be-dead Brahma bull? Maybe you should, I say, I say, maybe you should head home. I had my local talent, led by a man named Butch, follow your little bee from his grandmother's place. Could Billy have been dumb enough to try and see his grandma? Fuck a duck. Yeah, he could have been that stupid. When Lincoln had gone to her place, Butch's men had been watching it. You're full of shit, hog! Lincoln turned away from a thug who opened up with a pistol. Bullets pinged off Lincoln's armored back. He finished the turn, throwing Bastard Maker in an end-over-end blur. The blade chonked deep into the man's sternum, dropping him. Totally full of shit! While that may be true in general, it ain't now, Hogg said. Being the polite sort that I am, I told my fellas to follow Little B, and once he got to wherever it is he was going, to keep him company. You might want to get back home before my fellas do something bad to him, and to anyone else who might be at your place. If you leave here right now, I say, I say right now, I promise my fellas won't kill them all. Hogg wanted to call Lincoln from the battle. The boar man likely didn't see that Lincoln was using only one arm, that he was a dim shadow of his normal fighting form. Lincoln, they're going after my mistress! Bobby changed course, heading for the near edge of the pulsating dance floor, where lie the toppled throne and Gary Sater, trident in hand, standing over a groggy, red-leather-clad Kalista. I'll take the one, you take the other, Bobby said. Over the flashing carnage, Lincoln saw Boss Hogg's two sunglasses sporting sycophants. One with dark skin, one with a wraparound scorpion tattoo on his neck. 
they strode onto the dance floor's far edge. They walked quickly toward Gary and Kalista, slashing their scimitars down at any club kid in their way. Above the black-clad men flew the four cradlebats, their iridescence electrified by the lights, their double wings gleaming like mirrors. Lincoln ripped his hatchet free of the dying man's chest and ran after Bobby. The four cradlebats broke away from Hogg's men and flew at the Minotaur, shimmering streaks that closed in fast. Bobby caught the first in midair, whipped it against the blade of his axe, lopping off its head just as the other three cut at him with their long talons. Lincoln was there an instant later, slicing a cradlebat in half with Bastard Maker. Bobby backhanded another, sending the long, thin creature tumbling through the air. The last cradlebat, disengaged, flew back toward Oleus and Hog. Bobby bled from a dozen cuts, his blood spilling to the glowing, pulsating dance floor, mixing with that of the dozen bodies scattered here and there. Fewer club kids now, the few still moving down on the floor, badly wounded. Same for the Miami Tufts. The pawns of this chess match had all fallen. The scorpion-tatted sidekick slashed his scimitar at Gary Sater, who blocked it with his trident. The other sidekick drove his blade at Kalista, who awkwardly rolled clear before the scimitar's edge took a chunk out of the dance floor, knocking out the light of that square and turning it dark. She wasn't fully recovered from Hogg's meshwork grenade and wouldn't last long in close quarters fighting. She got to her feet, fumbled with her sword hilt, trying to pull the weapon from its red patent leather scabbard. Roaring in fury and leaving a trail of his own blood in his wake, Bobby rushed at the man attacking his mistress. The man had no choice but to turn and face the muscled minotaur, who blocked a scimitar swipe with his golden axe. The tatted sidekick again slashed at Gary, driving the goat-legged satyr backward off the dance floor. Gary's cloven feet caught against a prone club kid. Gary stumbled, tried to gain his balance. Then the scimitar's razor-sharp tip slashed across his chest, slicing white toga and white fur alike to spill red blood across both. Gary fell back, landed on his furry goat butt. The sidekick stepped closer, raised his weapon to finish the job. Lincoln, again, let Bastard Maker fly. The ancient hatchet whizzed through the air. Whatever armor the man possessed, it was no match for the ancient hatchet's meshwork edge. The scimitar, a severed hand still gripping the handle, spun away into the darkness. The man stared at the blood-spilling stump where his hand had once been. Gary lurched to one knee and thrust his trident forward. All three points drove into the man's abdomen and out his back, crunching through unseen armor with a sound like biting into a hundred Tootsie Pops all at once. Meshwork armor meet better meshwork trident. The man doubled over, fell to his side, thudded against the pulsating dance floor. Gary lasted only a second longer. His hands clutched at a slash wound too long for them to cover, and he, too, fell to his side. 
Lincoln saw Bobby staggering backward under the metal-flashing assault of the other sidekick. This guy was good, fast, strong, and efficient. Bobby bled from the half-dozen cuts left by the Cradlebats. Blood loss added up, even for the enlightened. Enough of this shit. Lincoln drew his Caltech pistol from his cloak. He stepped toward the sidekick, fired three shots into the man's back at point-blank range. As Lincoln had suspected, the bullets didn't penetrate. The man pivoted and spun, whipping his scimitar in a wide forehand arc as he did. Lincoln casually stepped inside the cutting edge's range, getting close enough to kiss. Just as the man's sword arm thudded harmlessly against Lincoln's ribs, Lincoln jammed the Keltex barrel into the man's eye and pulled the trigger three times. One of the rounds must have bounced off the inside of the man's skull because the bridge of his nose popped open, sending blood and brains flying. Lincoln flinched as a wet glob splattered against his left eye. The sidekick crumpled, his blood flowing freely across the flashing dance floor to mingle with all the rest. I say, I say, I think one bullet would have done the trick, Franks. Lincoln turned, looked across the dance floor, and the body strewn upon it. There stood white-suited, boar-headed, white-hatted Boss Hog. Dante, the tracksuit-wearing goblin, and Oleus Oakbeard, that looked much recovered, with the last Cradlebat now perched on his shoulder. What can I say, Piggly Wiggly? Lincoln wiped gore from his face, flung it aside. I've always been an overachiever. He needed to reload the pistol, but he couldn't, not with his ruined left arm. He turned the damaged shoulder away, gave the pistol an Old West flourishing spin, and slid it back inside his cloak. Hopefully, a bit of showmanship would hide the crippled arm for a few moments more. And holy fuck, did that arm hurt. Last chance, Franks! Hogg pulled a cell phone from his jacket pocket. If you don't get home quick, your friends will die there, and you'll die here. But Mr. Oakbeard, would you mind narrowing your dampening field enough for me to make a quick phone call? You might have gone a little over, I say, a little over the top. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, 
erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Boom. 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 Magda Magdalene was in her favorite spot on the couch, but she was facing the wrong way. Instead of kicking back with a blunt and a bottle and watching the big screen, she had her knees on the cushions and her hands on the backrest. She faced the nave doors, which shuddered to the rhythm of strong men. Magda, Ariella said, if you have anything left in the tank, Now's the time to use it. Ariella had far more steel in her than Magda had ever suspected. Her saving Lincoln from Callista was one thing, because Magda had heard about it secondhand, had known the story only from a distance. This was different. Side by side with the woman, Magda saw firsthand Ariella's cool-in-the-pocket demeanor. Not overconfidence or arrogance, but rather accepting her fear and leaning into the battle anyway. Which made her better than Magda. I can't, Magda said. I, I, I just can't. Boom, boom, boom. Tough luck, Ariella said. I did what I could. This last bit of mesh only has room for one. She reached to the back of her neck felt for a particular link on her gaudy necklace. Ariella turned transparent, then slid through the floor like a ghost. Boom. Boom. Crack. The nave doors slammed inward, and three men toppled through, their momentum carrying them inside. They scrambled to their feet. They weren't demons anymore, but the crippling memory of the Umatakan would not release its hold on Magda's muscles, on her very breathing. She blinked. Only once, she thought, and then the men were on her, dragging her out of the nave and into the vestibule. She saw Billy there, hunched chest down, atop a blood-streaked, still-bound dragon. She saw a half-dozen gangbangers, including the one with the big five-head, his lips split, bloody, and puffy from the blow she had given him with her bow staff. And she saw Butch, throttled agony and full-pedal rage etched across his face, his left arm around the thick dude Magda had hit upside the head with that same staff. The thick dude had a lump the size of a candy bar in his temple, and he cut oozing with congealed blood on his chin. Butch's left knee was bent so his foot hung in the air behind him. It's that kung fu bitch, Butch said. Where's the other one? Don't know, said one of the men holding Magda. We didn't see her. Butch grimaced as a burst of pain tore through his body. Find her, he said. Balaki, stay on the kung fu bitch. If she moves, poke out her eye. The three men scurried back into the nave leaving Magda on the tile floor. The one with the big forehead walked to Magda, knelt, held up one thumb. 
I don't want to get agu on my skin, he said, his teeth missing, his lisp pronounced. You stay still, and neither one of us got to deal with it. As far as offers went, that one was hard to pass up. She heard an odd sound, like a loosed bowstring, but far quieter, a kind of thwop sound. She looked at Dragon, the source of the noise. Billy was still hunched atop Dragon's body, but not pressed fully against it. There was the smallest amount of space between the serpentine form and Billy's chest. In that space, Billy quietly wiggled the ring finger of a spasming hand under a taut golden wire. The blood on the black scales. It wasn't Dragon's. It was Billy's. From Billy's fingers. Fingers that were horribly sliced. One that even looked skinned. Exposed muscle gleaming wetly. And his wounds weren't limited to just his flesh. Aura floated from his cuts in a thinning tangerine mist. So much of it. How could he have that much latent energy inside of him? Was that how he had gotten through the front door seal spell? His fingers hooked and pulled. Magda saw the golden wire rise up from Dragon's red-smeared black scales, saw the threads within the wire vibrating like a thousand minuscule guitar strings that had just been plucked. That meshwork. It looked top of the line, way above Magda's pay grade, and exponentially beyond what little training she had communicated to Billy. The kid was a natural. More than that, the kid was a prodigy. Throop, the wire snapped. Billy dug his bloody finger under another. A cell phone rang. Butch hopped lightly on his right foot, adjusting his balance, and pulled his cell phone from his pocket. He looked at the screen, and he answered. Where the fuck you been? A pause. But I want to do him now. Another pause. Yeah, I follow. We found two others. We got to wait on them, too? Yet another pause. I can do that. Hold up, though. I used your ring on a dragon. A dragon, man. It's wrapped up tight. But are you sure that net will hold? Because you didn't tell me nothing about a motherfucking dragon in this motherfucking church. Butch's angry face furrowed. Man, I don't care who made it, and I don't even know who the fuck Zazamunda is. Just tell me the net will hold. Butch listened, nodded. All right, starting now. He lowered the phone, tapped something on the screen. Then he held it up for Billy to see, even though Billy wasn't looking. On the screen, a timer counted down from 9.51 to 9.50 to 949. This here, it's all the time you got left to breathe, little bee, Butch said. Well, you have a little more than that, because I'm going to play it slow. I'm going to savor the moment. I'm going to shoot your friend here many times. And then I'm going to shoot you, Billy, many times. Billy said nothing. Magda heard the faint thwoop of another wire breaking.
Uh, say just, uh, just one more second, Franks, Hogg said. Gotta send a little text. Lincoln watched Hogg tap the screen, then slide the phone back inside his jacket. The club lights playing off the blazing white fabric of his suit were almost blinding. I told my fella ten minutes, then start shooting, Tog said. A resourceful guy like you, Franks, you can probably figure out a way to get there before all your friends are dead, right? Oh, that's right, and your protector, all tied up in a Zazamunda net of ain't moving a fucking inch. Lincoln had underestimated Hog. The boar had found a way to get inside Lincoln's head, to try and distract him from the battle at hand. An impressive strategy, and one that was working. He's not going anywhere, you pig fucker! A hulking minotaur shuffled forward to stand next to Lincoln. Rivulets of blood dripped from a dozen gashes, reflecting the nonstop strobe lights. Say your prayers, Rudy Poo, cause Link and I are gonna whip your candy ass! Bobby's wide bull nostrils expanded in a defiant snort. Then, his head tipped forward, slowly, followed by the rest of him. The minotaur slammed face first against the dance floor like a plummeting drawbridge, breaking the lighted squares beneath them and turning them dark. Yep. Blood loss added up, all right. An impressive boast, Dante shouted. Too bad he will not be able to back it up. He's only you now, Lincoln. Yet your reputation as a lethal foe is well earned, and I'd rather not lose any more of my people taking you down. Why don't you just walk the fuck out of here? Kalista has lost. Why stay and die for nothing? Why stay? Because while Hogg was good at strategy, Kalista was better. If Lincoln left, his son's fate was forever sealed. Billy, Magda, and Ariella were in danger, but they would have to handle it themselves. A red patent leather scabbard spun through the air in a lazy arc. It landed in the center of the dance floor, bounced once, came to rest against the decapitated body of a club kid. I'll tell you why he's staying, Dante. Kalista limped forward, her left leg more dragging than walking. She held a long, thin sword in her right hand. Ruby fire sizzled from her left palm. Because I ordered him to kill you, and this time, my pet Rixator is going to deliver. Lincoln glanced around at the bodies on the floor. Gary lay on his side, clutching at his chest, trying and failing to stop the blood flowing from a gash that ran from his right shoulder to just above his left hip. Bobby, lying prone against the dark dance floor squares that framed him like an eight-bit outline. With the club kids down, and Mercutio probably still out cold behind the bar, Lincoln Franks was fresh out of allies. Kalista's fire. It didn't burn as brightly as it had before. She was weak. So was Lincoln. Nothing he could do about that now. Nothing but fight. Three on two is for pussies, he said. Let's you and I square off. 
What do you say, Hog? Would you like a shot at the title? Maybe Hogg thought he was Billy Badass enough to kill Lincoln up close and personal. Hogg would not be the first to try. Many had sought to make their rep by putting Lincoln's head on a spike. Hogg's big boar lips curled back, the white of his teeth joining that of his tusks. He was laughing. I say, Mama didn't raise no fool, he said. This little piggy will kindly, I say, kindly decline your offer. Oh, well, it had been worth a try. Coward, Callista said, her voice heavy with exhaustion. Very well. Me and my champion against you, Dante, and your druid. Three on two it shall be. Let's finish this. Dante grinned wide, exposing his own pointed teeth. Why only three and two, he said, when we can have so many more join the fun. From the passage that led to the club's entrance came a line of men. More Miami tough guys. Eight of them, all armed to the teeth. The men spread out behind Dante, Oleus, and Hogg. Dante had kept a force in reserve. Very smart. Technology is a wonderful thing, Hogg said. All the help you could need just to text away. You still got about five minutes, Franks. Shake your ass on out of here while you still can. It was too late for that. A druid, a goblin, a bounty hunter, a crattlebat, and eight hitters against a one-armed Lincoln and a sorceress who barely had enough strength to stand on her own two feet. Shitty odds. But he would find a way to win. He had to. Or little Sam was screwed. Calista, too bad you don't have any real music in this place, Lincoln said. He reached into the space within his between cloak, found Tizona's familiar, well-worn hilt. Like Metallica. He drew the sword, held it before him. The spinning, flashing, pulsing club lights blazed off of three feet of polished steel. Because it's time to kill them all. have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. 
on a remote island in Lake Superior. A team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.